one sat alone beside the highway begging his eyes were blind the light he could not see he clutched his old rags and shivered in the shadows then jesus came and bade his darkness flee it's time to open the word once again with evangelist lester roloff on the family altar program for all is changed when jesus comes to stay one of my boys uh, came in the other day and he's a sweet kid he surrendered and he kept his cap on and i've seen some of our folks come in and during the broadcast keep a hat on i said that we have in service this church men don't sit in church with the caps on I mean, when we go in the presence of God, I mean, be ready to worship Him. Maybe that's the way it ought to be. I believe there ought to be some respect. We need a revival of respect, number one, for God, number two, for the Word of God, number three, for the Holy Spirit, number four, for our elders, Amen. for the parents. Of course, now, the reason, the reason, a lot of people don't have any respect for God, they said He's dead. I couldn't respect a dead God. The Lord has been more real in our ministry than ever before. He supplied every need. Of course, I came to the end of the year just about like I always do, rather depleted, and uh, nothing left over. And the uh, fact is, had a little overdraft. You know what I'm talking about. That means you took out more than you put in. That means an overdraft. Yes, sir. And uh, old Mother Nature's going to send you the bill. So last Tuesday night, Mother Nature said, I'm going to, She'd been asking me to do this for some time, to put my automobile in the shop or to work on. See, she's the doctor. I said, I don't have time. I'm scheduled. I'm too busy. She said, I'll fix you in the morning. And in the morning, my automobile wouldn't even run. I couldn't it shorted out. It wouldn't even snort. Snorted wouldn't work, nothing. See, pistons, valves. I mean, uh, I realized and, uh, Mother Nature, the mechanic, said, see, you need a major overhaul. And uh, so she's been working on me the last few days. And all she needs is a little water, lemon juice. And she'll take the mop, but it's hard to mop with a dry mop. All you women know that, don't you? So that's where water comes in, and lemon, and lime, and maybe a little grapefruit juice, but not any food. Four days. She'll fix you. The average person is literally eating themselves to death. You ever heard feed a cold, starve a fever? That's stupid. Don't feed nothing when you get sick. Starve both of them. Give her old Mother Nature a chance. She can't repair while everybody's coming through. You don't clean house while you got Uncle John and Emmer and all the grandkids there. But I tell you, this stupid race of ours. But you know, I, I really had a thought, and this is the first time it's dawned on me. And I'm not complaining, I'm just praising the Lord because uh, don't take long if you just give Mother Nature. She's the grandest old mother you ever saw in your life. I mean, she really is. See, Mother Nature doesn't want any poison where she's living. She lives on the inside, see. And when an accumulation of poison comes, she'll do everything to cover it up, bottle it up, sack it up, seal it up. But every once in a while, she'll get to the place, she said, I'm going to turn it loose on you now. Just going to turn it loose on you. I mean, I can't control it, and so therefore... And uh, so, but you know, 
poisoned spiritually is just like that. When your old heart's unclean, your thoughts are unclean. That's why I hate television. I've come to the place where I hate newspapers and magazines because they're just so worldly. They're so worldly. And that's one reason people, you know, that they've lost the joy of salvation. They've got addicted to junk like that. So they don't know beans. Our girls and boys, if they ever go back home and go back to that kind of junk, down they go again. You watch and see. You can't expect to build a great soul on the devil's fodder. You can't be strong while you're eating the devil's shucks. An old Billy Sunday used to say, any man that feeds on the devil's corn is going to choke on the devil's cob. It's just so pitiful the way the American people are trying to live. But you know the thing that came to me the other day in the midst of uh, the cleansing process and Mother Nature shaking me around a little bit, and that is, and, and first time in 20 years nearly, the thought came, my, wouldn't a rest pill be nice? I never, I never sleep when I'm sick. A lot of people can get sick and just sleep, you know, sleep all day. I never do. I wear out the bed, kick, flounce, tangle up the cover, man, I throw the bed spread off, you know, groan, moan, kick, jump, raise up and down. I mean, there's no rest for me. Mm -mm. To me, it's a waste of time in the first place. More energy wasted than nothing done. But... Praise God, Mother Nature knows what she's about. I'd rather turn my case over to her than all the doctors and medicines and drugstores in the world. When she gets through repairing, there won't be any bad repercussions. And just took her a few days, and up and out and on again. But she reminds me, and God reminds me, son, there's no way for Mother Nature to repair unless you give her enough time while you're resting. Mother Nature... When I quit working, she starts working. When I start resting, she starts working. And you can say what you please, dear friends. There's got to be a clean system before they can be perfect rest. And Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You know what he wants to do for us? Cleanse us. Then he said, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. I thought this morning when I woke up, old brother Jeremiah stepped out one day in an old wicked generation about as bad as ours. Ungodly. He's the most unpopular man that lived in his generation. They hated the very ground he walked on. God's gospel preacher, the man with a broken heart, and he said, stand you in the way and see. Ask for the old paths. Where's the good way? Walk therein. You know what they responded, don't you? Why, they said, we will not walk therein. But notice what else he said. He said, you'll find rest for your soul. You know, this week I was thought again, man's trying to buy what God wants to give him. God said, I'll give you rest. Man said, no, I don't want to give him to him. I'm going to go down to the drugstore and buy it. Isn't that stupid? I mean, that's not even a good business, man, is it? Save your money and get your rest. And then another thing, dear friend, Jesus said, I'll give you rest. Well, if he gives you rest, you can't buy it. Rest is not for sale. If rest was for sale, all the rich people would have rest, and the poor folks couldn't get it. Aren't you glad it's free? My, so sweet to have that rest. And then God said, I'll give you everlasting life. The religious leaders said, no, no, we'll we work for it. Heaven's just too good to get there free. We better work for it. 
And so they work hard. At least they make out like they do. And then they never get there. Nobody ever got to heaven working. Nobody can climb up any other way, the Bible said. And said if it is, a thief and a robber. And yet there's a lot of religious people that are climbing away, but they'll never make it. And you just go right on down the line. Salvation, you can't work for it because it's a free gift of the Lord. And name anything else. Love, love's not for sale. If you have to buy love, I remember one time a lady said to me, she said, you know, she had about, oh, I believe 150, 200,000 dollars worth of diamonds. And she said, these are just peace offerings. Said my husband goes out and pulls some big caper. He comes in with a new $20,000 diamond. She said, don't mount that much to me. See? Of course, she takes them all. Isn't it pitiful? The little empty lives that are being lived today. Have your Bible turn with me, please, to that book of Exodus. Genesis, Exodus. And the question is going to be, where are you going? You ever been asked that? A thousand times I've been asked that. Where are you going? My mother used to ask me that. Harry, where are you going? I want to ask you, where are you going? I'm going to ask little old David. The little old fella got his slingshot hanging out of his left pocket, headed down the trail. Where are you going, David? I said, I'm going up that where the war is going on. Nobody knows what he had in his mind, but I think down in his heart, he said, I hope I get a shot at old Goliath. Where are you going? Ah, oh, listen, dear friends. I tell you, the direction in which you're going is going to determine where you wind up, I'll tell you that. Now, you just think you can go wrong and wind up right. You're just foolish, that's all. I mean, you haven't even been off to kindergarten yet. I don't know why in the world people think they can live wrong and die right. And some people think they're making a sacrifice to live for Christ. Making a sacrifice if you don't live for Christ. Sin eats you up. Mind, soul, and body. All right? In the second chapter, I begin reading, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Chapter 3, verse 1. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, that might uh, say something to us in that a shepherd to the Egyptian was a disgrace. Fact is, if you'll go study and find out when uh, Jacob and his sons uh, were to go down there, and they said, now, we better tell them that we're cowboys. Let's don't tell them we're shepherds, see? Of course, uh, by that time, they had all the lying they wanted to do, see, and they, they told the truth about it. But the Egyptians considered a shepherd, a disgraceful occupation. Now, if he'd have been a big cattle man, it'd have been different. And so he said, Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even the holy. Now, you know who Moses is, don't you? He's that little baby that was um, born with a death sentence on his little old head. But he had a great mother. You know, I hadn't thought about it before, but I believe that probably Jethro had a good deal to do. I believe he encouraged him. He was a priest. I mean, a preacher. 
And uh, in another instance or two, he seemed to be real thoughtful, you know, uh, and uh, concerning uh, Moses. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert, and he came to the mountain of God. Now, that's about the last place you'd expect to find the mountain of God, and yet we might as well face it. That's the place you'll meet God more than you will on Front Street. <laughs> oh, I tell you, the Lord has been so faithful. I, I just kind of reminiscing a little in the office, heard you singing all those good songs, especially there is a fountain filled with blood. And I could tell there's a bunch of Christians out here. I mean, just full, rich singing, you know. You could just hear it just so fine and nothing fancy about it but just genuine. I knew just as well that had to come out of Christians' hearts, see. And uh, I, I said to somebody coming over here, some of the workers that were with us, and I said, you know, 25 years ago, uh, I went to the first Baptist church, and 25 years later, I'm going to the last Baptist church. And they said, well, you're making progress. I said, that's right. That's right. And really happier than I was 25 years ago. And, and I probably feel more at home right here, and without a doubt, more home here tonight than I did in the first Baptist church 25 years ago. But I tell you what, what I preached 25 years ago and what I preach now is what the First Baptist Church needs. I mean, they don't need any different from what they need right over here. And so it don't make any difference where it's the first, second, or third, or the last. They just need one thing. And listen, I remember some homes, I could name, won't name them, I can remember some homes that seemed so happy 25 years ago, but they're busted to pieces tonight. Children have lost confidence in their parents. Why? They refused to practice what I preached to them while I was standing here 25 years ago. Sin, still sin, and it's going to take its toll. It don't make a difference whether it's in your church or my church or in my home or your home. And so Moses has gone to the backside of the desert, and there he's found the mountain of God. That's a wonderful mountain. Now, brother, that to me is the highest hill you'll ever climb is when you get to the mountain of God, brother, you're going to have an experience. And he had one right there, didn't he? Now, I want to show you what happened to him. To me, this is it. This is the climax. Now, I know he had 40 years of training in Pharaoh's court, and he had 40 years of the greatest babysitter that ever lived, his mother. And uh, he had uh, 40 years in the wilderness, which I think uh, was uh, maybe postgraduate work, and then he's come up now, uh, not to get his doctor's degree, but get doctored himself. I mean, this is going to be it right here. So he comes to the mountain, but he had to get to the back side of the desert. Couldn't find him on the front side. A lot of people just wish the Lord had come out on the front streets where it'd be popular. You know, we've, we've tried to, we've tried to humanize Christianity instead of Christianize humanity. You can't do it. About the only thing to do the humanity just kill it. I mean, that's, the only, that's what Jesus said. He said, just die out. Now, I tell you, these last three chapters I've memorized have become more precious uh, by the day. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death. 
I want to conform to his death. Paul said, the first thing I want to do, I want to die like Christ. I want to die. Then he said that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering, be found in him, not having my own righteousness. The next verse, that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. I want to get up. But Paul had sense enough to know he had to get down before he could get up. He, had, he knew he had to die before he could be resurrected. Now, I don't think anybody looks forward to dying, but Paul said, I know if I ever die, I'll get up in a resurrection. And he wasn't talking about in the final resurrection. He was talking about dying to self and rising to walk in newness of life. So he got over to the backside of the desert, and he having a meeting with the Lord. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And dear friends, listen. When you get to the place where the angels of God begin to show up, you're not too far away from God. You don't get around God too, too close without getting some angels around. A lot of people say, well, I never do have any angels uh, around. Well, maybe you're not close enough yet. So he said, uh, an angel, the Lord appeared in, unto him in a flame of fire. Notice, he didn't appear in uh, an iceberg. There's something sort of warm about the presence of God, isn't it? You may not be able to see him, but you can feel him. And you know, really, I don't care about seeing the fire as much as I do feeling it. And he looked. And behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God saw, called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses. He said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now that's one of the real lessons we need to learn right there. Boys, girls, men and women, we've got to learn to respect God. You realize, he said, the angel said that you're at the mountain of God. And Moses, I believe, had already paid the price. Of course, he's a killer. He killed an Egyptian. He spent 40 years as an ex-convict in the wilderness. He's waited 80 years to do what God told him to do. 80 years it took God, if I could say it reverently, to get him ready. Now he's standing at the burning bush, and the angel said, you better put, a, put your shoes off, pull your sandals off, place where you stand is holy ground. I've never in my life seen this little respect for God and sacred things as we see now in this country. I mean, morality scoffed at. I mean, the very filth of hell is just deluging our generation. I mean, I, I just get stirred up when I think about somebody like Madeline Murray that has sounded a protest, you know. I mean, if, if, if a person doesn't know the Lord, and doesn't believe the Bible, they have no right to pass comment on it. It'd be just to me like a, like a blind man criticizing a sunset. He never has seen one yet. 
It'd be just like a deaf man criticizing a tremendous production of Mendelssohn's Elijah or Handel's Messiah by a great choir. And he criticized, he never has heard it yet. And yet, that's what she's been doing. She's criticizing a God she's never met. And why would America listen to somebody as an authority about something she knows nothing about? If they want to know something about the Lord, let them come to some of us that know him personally. And then, of course, I never have been afraid of infidels or atheists or that bunch of agnostics. I mean, they, they just don't scare me at all. I mean, I'd just be glad to meet them anytime, day and night, because I could ask them some questions that I know uh, that would throw them in reverse, because they, they don't have any answer. And I know the answer. I know that Christ is the answer. He said, uh, draw not nigh hither. Don't you come any closer till you put off your shoes from off your feet places where he stands holy ground. Moreover, he said, I'm the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face where he was afraid to look upon God. Ah, uh, listen, Moses, though he'd been in the presence of Pharaoh, he'd walked in honor in the courts. Yet when he came into the divine court of God, he hid his face, said, Lord, I'm not worthy to look on God, and he hid his face. You know the last cry Moses ever made? You know the last request he ever made down here? God talked with him like he would his, uh, just his son. Moses is about to the end of the trail. He said, Moses, what would you like? You've seen a lot of things. What would you like? He'd seen the power of God. He'd seen the Red Sea spanned as by dry land. He'd seen manna from the uh, sky to fall six days a week. He'd seen the pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. He'd seen the quail come in from the east. He'd seen water from the rock. He'd seen every miracle you could think. He saw his enemies dropping a hole in the ground. He saw his sister get rebellious, Miriam get leprosy, and he prayed for her, and God healed her. I mean, he'd seen uh, just about everything. He said, what would you like to see? He said, your glory. Just like to see your glory. He said, all right. There's a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. If you want to see my glory, you've got to get in the right place. And the right place is on that rock. And dear friends, that place hasn't changed. You girls, if you all want to see God's glory, you might as well get on a rock. You're not going to see it looking at television. Nobody ever, you're not going to see it reading your newspaper, magazine. No, no. You're not going to see it with the rock and roll records. Every once in a while we have young people come in with a load of rock and roll records, you know, and uh, need help. I wouldn't mind them if they'd uh, rock the devil out of them and roll sin out of them, but I know it won't, see? They don't understand, and the mothers and daddies, they don't either. I mean, they say, well, I don't look like that's carrying it too far. I tell you, the Christian life, it's a revolutionary. Just put her down. Jesus said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I mean, it's not a patching up job at all. 
And man's too bad off for patch it off anyhow. He just, I'd rather be new than patched up, hadn't you? Moses hid his face. The Lord said, uh, here's my text tonight. One of the greatest texts for the new years I've ever read, new year I've ever read. The Lord said, I've seen, I've surely seen, no doubt about what I've seen. What did you see? The affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. Know their sorrows. Now, those three things constitute the vision for the new year. He said, I've seen the affliction of my people down in Egypt. Now, Lord, what are your people doing down in Egypt? Well, they've gone off into idolatry. Now, let them go into slavery. That's exactly where America is now. I'd say that at least nine out of ten people in America are living in Egypt right now. And our nation is going down to Egypt for help. And the Bible says, woe to him that goes down to Egypt for help. We've been looking to the world for help. And we don't get any help from the world. And so he said, I've seen the affliction of my people. You know how long they've been down there? 430 years. It's a long time. Isn't it? That's, that's over twice as long as America's been a nation. Now I'll guarantee you that's twice as long and more than we're going to live unless we get back to God. We've sold out morally. We've sold out politically. We've sold out religiously. We've sold out educationally. I mean, it's all so, and you can read it every day. Everything's failed except Jesus and his word. And then not one reason, but one reason why we're living in the midst of failure tonight, and that is we got away from the succeeding book. There's only one book that really succeeds, and that's the word of God. It has all the answers. A lot of people say, well, I'm so confused. Well, get in the Bible. That'll solve your confusion. I'd, I've never needed an answer but what I found in the Bible. Our young people, uh, when we get Christ into their heart, their problems are solved. When an alcoholic gets Christ into his heart, a lady called last night from Minnesota, said, I'm an alcoholic. Mentioned on the radio. She said, I've been drinking since I was five. I reckon where a little five-year-old got her, girl got her liquor. You guessed it the first time, didn't you? Her sorry mother and daddy gave it to her. And they thought it sort of key. And now then, at the age of 40, if they could see their little daughter that's grown old and wretched and wrinkled and miserable and defeated and drinks one filth of liquor every day of her life, Think of the money she's wasted, the time, the effort. Think of the many restless nights, the fears. Think of the devil's snake that's been eaten on her through all these years. I told the people, when we voted liquor back into this country, we voted for our doom. It'd just take a little time, and in less than a generation, America finds herself at the end of the trail. Financially, she said, I remember saying this in Alice, Texas, 25 years ago. I said, the liquor traffic promised to balance a budget. 
if we'd license liquor. And we owed $16 billion. And now we had a slight increase of over $300 billion of business. You think of that. I mean, you think of that. And America's lost her thinking capacity. She's lost her spiritual feeling. She's lost her compass. She's lost her sense of direction. She's lost all sense of morals and values. And she's not going to ever get them back until she comes to see. Notice, he said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I've seen the affliction. I wonder how many people have ever seen the affliction of a little girl that's in trouble. Or do you care? How many of you have ever seen a little old boy that's delinquent? My heart's been heavy since last night. So the next stop will be the prison. One of the boys I've been in his home has the nicest home, the nicest terrace, beautiful two-story home. But he's through now, just waiting for the strong arm of the law to reach out and say, okay, son, you won't listen to mercy, will you? No, sir. We're going to give you judgment. I mean, our, our patience, our little mercy cord is completely used up. But I'll promise you this, he'll find no warm place back home. He's through. We adopted this boy many, many years ago. He's caused us nothing but grief and heartache. But we've loved him. But he's going in at the big gate. And he's going to learn what judgment without mercy is. But isn't it sad to have to send a, a boy like that off to the crime school? Talk about some lonely nights he's got in the head, hadn't he? But dear friends, I tell you what I believe. I believe that a person can come to the place, I'm talking about a lost man, where God will let him cross the deadline. My spirit shall not always try with it. I tell you something else, and I really believe this is so. I believe a Christian can cross the deadline, and God said, you're done for. I mean, I'm cutting you off. I'll prune you off. I tell you, this is the loosest living generation. People think, well, I can just sort of treat the Lord any way I want to. There's another day coming. God delivers you from sin. You better stay delivered. My Bible tells me that when a man gets delivered and goes out, and he doesn't equip his house. In other words, he doesn't put something in the place of what he had. He said, the old devils will come in a minute. They'll peep in the window and they say, look at that. Nothing's in there. Just swept and cleaned and nice, but we'll go in there. And they went in. He said, the latter end's worse than the first. I believe that. I believe that a Christian can get mighty mean when he gets out of the will of God. There's nobody that's harder to get along with than a rebellious Christian. There's nobody that'll cause as much trouble in the church as a rebellious churchman. I mean, if he's out of touch with God, I mean, he, nothing suits him, see? The flesh wants to rule or ruin. Now, he said, I've seen the affliction of my people. Have you seen? You know what it is to see an alcoholic? See a dope addict? Oh, I tell you, my soul was blessed this morning. I talked to Bill. Harold, such a fine Christian, and yet we waited so long to see poor Harold delivered. Year after year after year, I've gone into his city when he went back. He never came to church. I'd call him. He didn't come. He got back on his cigarettes, got him an old television set, 
Got to shooting that dope. Got to bootlegging and everything else, I guess. Anything you could get a hold of, see. Crooked, dishonest, wasn't right in his heart, see. But it's worth it all when they come to Jesus. But I tell you, as a Christian, I would not want to trifle with God. So he said, I've seen the affliction. I've seen the affliction. And not only that, he said, I've heard their cry. I've heard their cry. The children of Israel, ring why they cried. I tell you why they cried. Their bondage was getting hard. You know, people don't cry till something happens. Isn't that right? Usually when you cry, something's hurting you. And that's what's wrong with most of our churches. They don't hurt enough to cry. They've lost their cry. That's why we don't have revival anymore. Remember a good many years ago, we'd started simultaneous campaigns. And uh, I was right in the middle of them. Man, I was one of the speakers, and we'd have our breakfast with plenty of donuts and coffee and scrambled eggs and toast, and we'd all meet, you know, make our plans, and everybody doing the same thing at the same time. And we called it a simultaneous camp, and directly it played out. I mean, it just, uh, just finally played out. Dear friend, I tell you the simultaneous we need. We need to be simultaneous with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Everything man's ever had about has failed except what God told him to do in his Word. And that's so plain to me. And so only God's plan, Lord. He said, I've heard their cry, you know, by reason of the taskmasters. They got some awful taskmasters. You know, when I read that a while ago in the pastor's study, I saw this every time. One of those old taskmasters, those old Egyptian taskmasters, mean as the devil. Every time they'd take a little old Hebrew and find that he didn't make as many bricks that day as maybe he thought he ought to make. He'd, he'd go in and beat him up. Maybe he's so weak he could hardly walk. And every time he'd hit him, God said, I've seen their affliction. I've heard their cry. The little Hebrew would cry and groan. He said, I heard you. I recorded every groan. Brother God hears. Yes, he does. Then I thought, years ago, years that'll never be repeated, when the ear, that was the quickest, and I guess of all the things I missed most in my life, is, uh, Sonny boy, are you awake? And she heard me groan, and she heard me cry. In the night. That's right. I've laid many times, hours at a time, and, and didn't want to make enough racket to wake my mother up. I knew how tired she was, and she was just through the window. And the suffering got so intense until I'd just, I'd just grown before I knew it. And just as quick as a flash, she said, Harry Lester's sick. Man, I hear those tender feet hit that floor, come around through the hall door and in the room. And, Slipped that hand over my head. Said, I, I heard you call. I said, Mama, you're tired. Oh, no, she said, I'm not tired. Tired. Two o'clock in the morning? Well, I guess you, dear friends, that's nothing compared with what I'm talking about. I'm glad tonight I've got a Savior that hears my cry. You boys and girls might be glad somebody will hear your cry. You better make your cry to somebody will hear you. The judge is not going to help you. He'll hear you cry. He won't pay any attention. 
I've heard them say, I find you guilty and sentence you to 10 years. In the penitentiary, the little boy, 23, over in the jail in Corpus, told me last week, he said, they're asking life for me. I've been in prison three times, three times. And he said, they said, I'd never be out again. They said, I'm not fit to be out. Great big, tall, six-foot boy, 23 years of age. And they said, they're charging me with habitual criminal. You think about that, the age of 23. I started preaching in jail 36 years ago. You couldn't even find a boy 23 years old in the jailhouse. They's out there working in the daddy's backyard or on the farm. Now then, our worst criminals are in the teens. Two little girls, 11 and 13, Choked two little children to death. They said for the giggle they got out of it. While the little children were dying, stifling, and begging for a breath, these two little television-minded girls said, we learned it on a television set, and we killed them for the giggle we got out of it. Mothers and daddies are going to pay the price some of these days. Oh, you can laugh and kid and carry on all you want to, dear friend. I told you that 25 years ago, Nihilus. I tell you again tonight, it's not getting any better and won't get any better until we get back to the book. That'll make it better. The Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. They're out of place. Heard their cry through their taskmasters. Number three, I know their sorrows. I know their sorrows. You know, I, I guess this year, and I'm sure this is true, has been the year of more burdens and more tears than I've ever known in any one year in my life. And yet, let me say something else real quick. It's been the year of the greatest blessings. I've never known the Lord to be more real, his word more precious than this year. And I've just about reached a conclusion. No burdens. No blessings. If you want the blessings, don't try to run off from the burdens. My daddy used to say you can't try an old mule out with an empty wagon. Hitch him up to a heavy load. God's people are always better under a load. Know the challenge of this hour. And if I've ever in my life, faced a year uh, filled with uh, opportunities and with the challenge to reach people. I mean, this next year's it. So he said, I've seen their affliction, heard their cry, I know their sorrows. Now, those are three things that we're going to have to see, hear, and know, but that's not enough. But let me tell you something. These three things will bring on the response that we're fixing to come to right here. And you can say what you please. Our churches will never come to life again until we have seen the affliction of the people of God and until we get them out of Egypt, till we hear their cry, know their sorrows, because till you know them, you won't be able to sympathize with them. Now what do you say? Coming on down. I'm coming down to get them. That's what I'm going to do. I'm coming down to get them.
If they're down in Egypt, I'm going to Egypt. If they're in slavery, I'm going in slavery. If they're under old Pharaoh's leadership and under his old nasty foot, I'm going down there. But don't notice something. You know how God went down there? He went down there in the life of one man. He chose a man. He chose a man. He said, I'm going down to Egypt. Moses, are you ready? He said, Lord, don't talk too good. I left trouble in the police department. I haven't been off the public speaking class. Lord said, who made your tongue? Oh, he said, you did. He said, I'll make it talk turned over to me. Ah, uh, listen, you know what he did? Talked to him about his tongue. Showed him a miracle or two. Said, what do you have in your hand? You remember that? And I tell you, dear friends, that'd be a good thing, consider as you start new year, just what you got. You better take inventory. What do you got in your hand? And if you got a bunch of junk in your hand you don't need, you won't be able to do. You know, you can't do a lot with a bunch of stuff in your hand that's not fit to hold. So drop it. Bible said, let us lay aside every weight. And the sin that does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes, he said, I know their sorrows, and I'm coming down to get them. And so sure enough, he said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? He said, stick, throw it down, became a snake. Take it with the tail. Put your hand in your bosom and take it out. Leprous, so forth. And uh, in a little while, you know what happened, don't you? Where are you going, Moses? Oh, I'm going down to Egypt. Who are you going to see? I'm going down to see Pharaoh. You realize, don't you, that uh, you escaped from down there a good long while ago, 40 years ago. Yes, he said, I know. He said, uh, I could say, Brother Moses, uh, you, better, you better sort of drive slow down through Egypt. You know, they, there's a price for your head. Uh, it's, it's, it's out now that you're to try to deliver the children of Israel. And that's his pets. That's his slaves. That's his yard boys. That's the fellows that grinds his meal and that makes his brick for the big brick homes, you see. And uh, you know good and well, old Pharaoh, he, he, he'll kill you in a second. No, I said, I don't believe so. He said, uh, you see, I'm under new orders now. Because somebody's going on, he said, I am going on. I'm not going by myself. I am. And dear friend, God did exactly what he said he was going to do. He went down there and said, Pharaoh, you can let my people go. I've seen their affliction, heard their cry, know their sorrow, and I'm coming down to get them. And Pharaoh tried as though he would, compromised with him, tried to three times. Moses never compromised. Let me tell you something. Any man that compromises loses his chance of victory. You never compromise to win anybody. Wife, you'll never compromise with your husband and win. Oh, I know you'll have some lonely days and nights because the old boy will throw fits and run off and leave you and say, well, if you're not going with me, take somebody else. Well, go ahead. I'll be here in the prayer closet when you get back. I tell you what, nobody'll ever die with loneliness as long as you got Jesus around. Amen.
Well, I hear so many people talk about, I, you know, women and men. They say, oh, I just live such a lonely life. That's dangerous. First thing you know, you'll be kiting off and singing. You don't get lonely when you're with Jesus. I mean, he's all you need. The world's lonely tonight. You see, when they get lonely, they don't have anywhere to go. The one that made them lonely, that's the devil. And he can't do anything about it. But if you're lonely, you go to Jesus. You've got constant company living company all the time. So he said, I'm coming down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt and to bring them, notice, I'm going to bring them up out of that land into what kind of land? A good land and a large underland flowing with milk and honey under the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Going to get them out from the Egyptians. I want you to notice now what he's going to do and I'm closing the message. He said, I'm going to come down where they are, and I'm going to bring them up. He said, I'm going to bring them out of that land. I'm going to bring them to a good land. It's going to be a large land. They're not going to be so crowded. Why, the Israelites, did you know there was millions of them down there? fact is, that's one reason old Pharaoh, you know, back there 40 years before, had put out and dick kill all the male babies. You know why? They're getting too numerous. And so my prediction is it's between two and four million Israelites. And brother, I tell you, I suppose the world populated like it is now. I mean, there's a crowd of them. And Pharaoh sort of, the only way he had to take care of them was just keep the iron hand over them. And he'd kill them out. He didn't mind killing 100,000 of them. He didn't want them to get too powerful. He wouldn't risk any weapons in their hands. But dear friends, there's one person that old Pharaoh couldn't handle, and that's the I am. I mean, when the I am came walking down with Moses, I mean, Pharaoh, you just might as well uh, throw up the white flag. Of course, he didn't, because Pharaoh's a type of the flesh. I want to bring him up to a good land, a large, underland flowing with milk and honey. Yes, there'll be something sweet in this land. Under the place, I'm going to bring him to the place. And Moses said unto God, who am I? And that's the final question for tonight. Who am I? You want me to answer that? Nobody. You say, who are you? Nobody. You know, the only person I've ever seen God use was a nobody. And the only thing that'll make a nobody somebody is touching Jesus. That's what happened to the woman. You remember when she came up and touched his garment and Jesus said, who touched me? Well, said a lot of people. Yeah, but said somebody touched me. You know what made that woman somebody? She sure was a nobody. She had no money. That usually makes a person nobody in the world, doesn't it? You get flat busted and you're just about a nobody. And then you lose your health and I'll guarantee you a nobody as far as getting the job. And so this poor old nobody came along and in a second's time became a somebody. That's what Jesus called her. He said, somebody touch me. Exactly. She looked up and smiled some more. I did. I did. You did what all the doctors couldn't do. Just the touch of the gun. Somebody touched me. And he made me hope. Dear friends, who am I? Moses said, who am I? Well, Moses, we could say you're a college graduate. You went to school 40 years in Egypt. Yeah, but that don't mean nothing. Who am I? Well, you could say I'm a convict. I'm a murderer. Who am I? Well, you could say you're a shepherd. You've been following those sheep 40 years out here in Midland. Who am I? 
Well, I'm that little baby that's born yonder with the death sentence on his head. Both have been killed. Who am I? Well, let me just tell you. You know who he is now? God said, surely I'll be with thee. I'm going to go with you. You know who he is? He's a man that's on the divine direction of the great I am. And brother, when you and I realize that that's who we are, it ought to dignify our lives and cleanse our souls and give us a challenge that wouldn't let us be still. It'll make us rise after we've seen and heard and know the sorrow. To rise and be on our way to get the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage. Bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for joining us today on the Family Altar Program with Lester Roloff. You may listen to the preaching and the special music of the Family Altar Program 24 hours a day when you visit our ministry website, roloff.org. We love hearing from our listeners. If this broadcast has been a blessing to you, please write to us at Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises, P.O. Box 100, Fort Thomas, Arizona, 855 Again, that's Roloff Evangelistic Enterprises, P.O. Box 100, Fort Thomas, Arizona, 85536. This broadcast is made possible by the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. Thank you for partnering with us, and remember that Christ is the answer.